0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. But we're going into the new year, and, and I love how uh, uh, some, some people in some other places look at the new year, right? I mean... I've done some work. You, you, many of you here know uh, Apostle Frank Aikens and uh, he's ministering in Nigeria, and he's been here to minister with us here at Champions, and, and I've traveled some to go and be with them there. Uh, they look at the new year a little differently than most churches here in the West do. I mean, uh, November rolls around and they have like their Thanksgiving and things like that, and and then December comes here and it's it's an extended period of fasting in preparation for the new year. Now, most Western churches are so focused on Christmas that that it's, you know, wall-to-wall celebration until Christmas, and then the new year's already here, and then they'll spend like the first few weeks, you know, celebrating the new year with prayer and fasting and things like that. Well, the mentality over there is that that's a little late, right? I mean, the new year's already started, so you're you're, you're behind the curve, you know. So, in preparation for the the new year, I wanted today's message to just be some some tips for a stronger 2021. How many of you would like to see a little stronger 2021 than you had in 2020? I know, I know, I would like to see that. So, some of these tips may sound familiar because we use some of these in some other messages because they're just they're in the Bible and and it's only 1,300 pages long, you know. So, but but some of these tips may be new to you and. and They're biblical tips for a stronger New Year. If we can apply these things to our lives, we can see some great things. Uh, Well, so I'm looking for a stronger 2021, and and honestly, I think that's why I have the food hangover. You know, I mean, yesterday, I'm looking at at the leftover pie and some of the things that are are in the fridge, and and I'm thinking, uh, I want to change the way I eat tomorrow. So you know what's going to happen, right? I want to change the way I eat tomorrow. So that means I need to eat all of this stuff right now, right? I need to eat all of this right now. Look at that. There's almost a whole pie there. How much Cool Whip do we have? That'll do. And you pile it on, and you sit down with the fork, and you go to town. I mean, I woke up twice in the night and thought, oh, my God, I'm sick, you know? (laughs) And, And it's horrible that we do stuff like that. So it's, I mean... That food hangover was a real thing. In fact, I'm still kind of feeling the effects of it. So if you see me run out of the sanctuary here, just, just wait. I'll be back. I promise you. I'm coming back. Bear with me. But you know, those things are goofy, right? But the, the reality is that was the real thought. It's like, hey, I, I'm going to change some things tomorrow. So, so let her rip today. But there's something inside of all of us that's looking for, for change and improvement and growth and maturity. There's all kinds of really mature and, and tasteful ways to put it. The reality is we, we want to be better. We want to do better. Now, better is relative. You know. I mean, if we look to, to television and Hollywood and magazines as to what better looks like or whatever, we'll be deceived. I mean, those people can be absolutely miserable. I and, mean, you know, on the outside, we'll, we'll hold them up as the picture of health or whatever and and there is not. So, so don't get me wrong, it's not about that, it's just there's something inside of us that wants to grow and mature. We want to, to advance, and, and let me give you this as the word, and we'll see it here in the scripture, we want to succeed. I mean, I want to succeed. I never sit down like, you know, the holidays were here, right? And, and it's the Christmas holiday, and our family kind of does some stuff. Some, some in the family like to do things like puzzles, and some like to play games, and And some like to eat pie. And, you know, I mean, so we like to do things. But I've never sat down to play a game and my objective wasn't to win. I mean, never. It doesn't matter. I could be, I'm playing my own children, right? And it's like, (laughs) daddy's about to destroy you. son. I mean, yeah, (laughs) hand me the dice, you know. We we just, uh, I get whipped a lot. So there's, but the thing is, is there's a drive in us to win. We want to win. We want to be successful. I mean, that's, that's inside of us, and that's, that's a good thing. In fact, I think it's a godly thing. When you look at the Scripture, and Jesus uses words like overcome and then attaches it to, to the condition that's necessary or identifies it, excuse me, as the condition that's necessary uh, for inheriting the kingdom, you know, blessed are those who overcome for they will inherit the kingdom of God and all these things. And, and I mean, overcoming is really winning. I mean, if I were to overcome my children in a board game, it would mean I, I beat them. They, they, they were against me, and I prevailed, and I won. That's why I overcame. So, so really and truly, Jesus has attached blessing and, and inheritance and all these things with this trait that, that needs to be cultivated in all of us, and it's this desire to overcome. I want to win. I mean, honestly, some of the decisions I've ever made in my life between sin and righteousness were surely made not out of some pious, well, what would Jesus do, but more out of a, a drive that I'm not going to let the devil win. Like a competition, you know. I'm not going to let that temptation win. And, and so when we cultivate that drive and that desire to, to overcome and to win in a very healthy way, it's, it's really strong. It's really powerful. It can be really healthy. It can also... Uh, be misprioritized and become obsessive and I've been known to cross that line on occasion, get a big amen from my wife but but it's really something that's meant to be in every believer. I mean if Jesus says, you know blessed are those who overcome and God wants the blessing to function and operate in all of our lives, that's going to mean this this desire for every one of us to overcome. So I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture. I want to look at a few things in the word here as we uh, go through the Word. Here's a few things that you can look for, some things that you might be able to anticipate as we get into the Scripture. One is what we can ask God to send. Now, Christmas was just here, and, and you know, we, we've really never done the, the Santa Claus thing or anything at my house for, for a couple of reasons, but mainly because I think any, maybe any attempt was, was foiled, I and mean, my kids just saw right through it, Right. I mean, at age three, they're like, yeah, right. Uh, so it was never really a thing with us, uh, but yet they did put together like Christmas wish lists and would give them to us. And they've gotten smart. They like know where to put them now. One is taped up in the bathroom. So like, I know he's going to see it in here, right? <laughs> he got a captive audience right there. It's literally taped up right over the toilet paper roller where it's like, well, that's what he wants. All right. And, and I've read that list a lot. I know exactly what's on it. <laughs> so I mean, that's really smart when you think about it, right? Uh, but it's interesting that there's something in the Scripture that we can, can see that it's okay to ask God for, like something that we can't. We can put this on our list. Now, we don't have wish lists. Rather, we have prayers and supplications. These are things that we see in the Scripture. Hey, if I ask for that, I won't be struck dead. I think that's a good thing. I can ask God for that. We're going to see something in the scripture it's good for us to ask for. Another thing we're going to find uh, is where less is more in the Bible. Have you ever heard that saying, less is more? Does it bug you too? It bothers me when I hear that because I just think, no, it's not. More is more. Less is not more. You can't have less and it be more. But we're going to see you know, where that saying may have a little bit of a defense in the scripture where, where less could be more in the Bible. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what in you and in me God exalts, what he's looking for. When the word says God looks on the heart, what's he looking for? Now there's something that when he finds it, he he promotes it. The word that the Bible uses is exalt. Exalt is a a word that means promote, you know. I mean, we don't really use that word a whole lot. We do in our worship songs and things like that. We've made it a very, a, a biblical word and that's that's a good thing that's not bad you wouldn't go into your boss and be like hey I want an exaltation but you might go in and say hey I'd like a promotion you know and it's really the words are interchangeable one just sounds more biblical and and the other sounds more like in our everyday vocabulary so but think the word promotion there's something that God promotes And I want promotion in my life. I mean, I I want to be promoted to be a better father and a better husband and and a a better pastor. And I can't believe nobody jumped on that to amen. You know, that was your shot right there. You Could have gotten one in on me. But so what, what we can ask God to send, I want to get right into it here. If you have your Bibles, you can go to the Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 118. I want to look at verse 24 and 25. So Psalm 118 uh, in verse 24, it should read like this. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That should be a very familiar passage to to most believers. I know it's a familiar one to me. I mean, I remember singing this as a song when I was a child, but not just in like children's church. And we sang that in, in, you know, church. This is the day... You know the song, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. Yeah. And it goes on, you know. And that was one, you know, they they had these kind of like polka beats. They did, you know. It was like, this is the day. uh." And people would do that, you know, that dance. I'm I'm telling you, my food hangover won't let me do it right now. (laughs) I was going to do it, but those dances were dangerous because slip-on shoes would just slip right off, you know, they weren't slip-ons, they were slip-offs, and I remember thinking, I think that lady just stuck her high heel in the ceiling tile, you know, I mean, people would dance to these songs, and it was really, it 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 was fun, you know, but they all had the same beat, you could just run one song right into the next, it was all, it was this unending chain of music. But this passage of Scripture, this is the day that God's made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I want to just start there. It's, it's going to tie in in the end. This, this message kind of goes all the way around and touches back on that. If this passage of Scripture can be embraced by the believer, life will be awesome. To come to the understanding that God is on his throne, that he made today, and that, that really the best option for me, no matter how I feel, no matter what things look like, is to rejoice and be glad. To be able to find whatever it is that God is doing and rejoice in that and be glad in it, this is a real strong advantage. I mean, just notice it doesn't say, uh, who knows what's going to happen today, I'm worried and upset, right? I mean, that's a pretty sorry way to live life, but rather this is, hey, God's on his throne, he made today, and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it doesn't matter what I see on the news. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter. What matters is God is God and he made today. And he chose to put me in this day. I'm a part of this day's design. I'm not an afterthought. I'm intentional. And then I love the next passage of scripture. Then you get to verse 25. Now, I'm not sure what translation that you're reading there, but let me just read what I have here. O Lord, do say. We beseech you. Now, beseech is a a fancy word for ask, but to ask with urgency. We beseech you, O Lord. We beseech you, do send prosperity. What a powerful prayer. Now, I've heard a a number of messages that involved prosperity, and and most of them were were messages that were were focused on prosperity in the sense of, of financial gain and things like that. And, and you're welcome to apply it from that perspective. There, there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to consider prosperity as any advancement or success. In fact, you could appropriately translate that word advancement or success. I mean, you can look to the dictionary, a concordance. Basically, it is this winning that you're asking God to bring into your life. Do send victory. Do send success. Do send advancement. Do send promotion, do send prosperity. I think this prayer and that attitude go hand in hand. Remember, it opens up with the attitude, you made this day, and I'm going to get happy about that. I'm going to be glad in it. I'm not going to focus on the rain clouds. I'm going to focus on the fact that you have ordained this wonderful day and put me within it, that you love me, that you have wonderful promises for me, you haven't forgotten or abandoned me, and so here I am. And with that attitude in mind, do, send your deliverance, do, send your prosperity. Now, when this is written, it's written with a a sense of urgency. And I think that's an important thing to note. A lot of my prayers, my my effective prayers, haven't been, you know, pious and poetic. They've been very urgent. They've been prayers of of, uh, desperation and and, uh, deep need. And this cry for God to send this advancement or success is something that I want to add to my prayer life. And I think that if we can take this attitude of trusting that God is sovereign and we can add this call for God to bring that advancement and success into our lives, we might see a really wonderful and exciting change in the days to come. I remember we were talking about going into the new year and these were kind of some tips for a strong uh, new Year and allowing some changes to take place in our life in order to get a, a different and in our case a, a better or more desirable result, I want to give you a few tips. I just have five things here that I want to share and we're going to have some scripture there and it's about seeing God bring that advancement or success into our lives. So here's, here's tip number one, uh, have desires. Have desires. Now, the world would say, you know, have goals, and I think that's fine. You're welcome to interchange that word. But the Bible uses the word desire. It really never uses the word goal. So I'm not telling you that the word's better. I'm just telling you that if you're looking for, you know, the word goal in the Scripture, you're not going to find it. But if you do hunt for the word desire, you will find it. You'll find it in there. I want to give you a a few uh, words about having desires, okay? Uh, Here's one. Here's one out of the Psalms. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, that's a really interesting and thought-provoking passage of Scripture. I mean, you could sit and begin to ponder and wonder, what does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? I mean, to delight yourself in the Lord is to, to find pleasing the same things that he finds pleasing. When you align yourself with God's desires, when you align yourself with God's will, you align yourself with God's provision. And it's no wonder then that you would have the desires of your heart given to you by God when the desires of your heart are in line with the desires of God's own heart. I mean, it kind of makes sense there, doesn't it? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, this passage of scripture is really only going to be fulfilled if, if a couple of conditions are met, one, delighting yourself in the Lord, that, that's an important condition. And then two, an equally important condition, having desires in your heart. Do you have something that you want to see? Want to see come to pass, want to see uh, uh, take place, want to see happen? Whether it's for you or whether it's for you know, the, the church community or the city or, or for uh, a loved one or a family member. Do you have things that you're hoping will happen? Do you have desires? And when you have those desires, then what do you do with them? I mean, here's a passage of Scripture that talks about uh, desires. It's out of Habakkuk. It's it's chapter 2, verse 2. It says to take those things and write them down. It refers to those desires as, as vision, you know, what you want to see come to pass. And that would be a vision. You know, if I have a desire for my sons in this next year, that would be my vision for my sons in this coming year. And Habakkuk says, write those things down. And it says, so that, which is why you would write it down, so that the reader can run with it. I mean, it's good to write things down so that they're not forgotten, so that they're not cast aside. I mean, I got news for you. Just like I mentioned, you know, when I was cleaning out the fridge and ridding it of all pies last night, you know, there was this desire in me to change the way that I ate. I, two days from now, I'll forget that I ever made that declaration, I promise you. When I'm driving home and I pass that donut shop, I'll totally forget. My truck forgets. It's like the blinker comes on and it just starts to veer over to the right. And the next thing you know, you're in the driveway. But writing it down, you've got to record those things. Let those desires be established and written down for the purpose of being able to revisit them and equipping yourself to actually bring them to pass. And then here's one of the things that I think is important to note about desire. Okay, And we've used this passage before when we've talked about hope and things like that. I want to read the passage out of Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But then now the rest of that proverb, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. That sounds pretty good to me, you know, a tree of life. When you hear tree of life, do you think positive thoughts or negative thoughts? I mean, probably positive. It's probably something that you would want in your life. Do you realize based on this, it will be impossible to have that tree of life in your life without desires in your life? Because it's desires fulfilled that are that tree of life. I mean, you need to have those things that are, are, you know, the world would use the word goals. Desires, they need to be present in our life. I want to ask you a question here. I mean, don't answer and don't look around and make awkward eye contact with anyone you know in the congregation. But have you ever been around someone who had no desires, who had no goals? had no drive or or ambition whatsoever. It's difficult to see any prosperity or advancement taking place in that situation or in those circumstances. And it's not because those things are are, uh, uh, absolute. It's because those things are, are necessary for the things that God's bringing into our life to function and move through. It's the catalyst for the things of God to function and operate in our life. To see God bring into existence those things that are desirable is to see God bring His blessing in full manifestation in and through your life. And therefore, no wonder the Word describes that as a tree of life. I'll give you another passage out of the Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 19 says that desire realized is sweet to the soul. I think it's important as we move into this year to to take the time to ask ourselves, what are my desires for this year? I think it's important then to take the time, and just as we read from Psalm 37, 4, do my desires delight God? Are the things that I'm desiring, do they line up with the will of God? I mean, if your desires are things like, I want my marriage to be the strongest it's ever been, I've got news for you, you don't even have to fast and pray about that one. That lines up with God's will. He wants that. Uh, I want my children to grow in the things of God. I've got news for you. That lines up with the will of God, you know. There are things that we need to just make sure line up with God's will so that we can fulfill the passage of Psalm 37, 4, delighting ourselves in the Lord, and then simply celebrate that that His promise will come to pass, that He'll give us or grant us those desires. So here's another uh, tip. That was number one, have desires. It's important to have desires. Number two, uh, surround yourself with good attitudes. Surround yourself with good attitudes. Now, that may sound, you know, a little bit like something you would hear from a motivational speaker, but I can tell you attitude is very present in the Scripture. When we talk about the individual's heart or or we, we look at passages of Scripture where it says God looks on the heart or he looks on the motive, what you're seeing there is really the attitude. Now I can tell you that I've had to check my attitude. I, I can see attitude in 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 other people. I mean, like I, I'm raising children and and you can see attitude. I mean, you can have, you know, compliance and that be different than obedience, right? I mean, it's all about the attitude. I mean, here's one. Hey, would you please take out that trash? Yes, sir. I'd love to help out. Pick up the trash, take it out. Or hey, would you please take out that trash? Ah. I could go on. And then finally the trash is picked up and reluctantly stomped out of the house, you know. and one of those, though, though there was compliance, the, the, the heart, the attitude was not in line. I mean, it was a bad attitude. So it, it, the scripture talks about our attitude. It, we can actually go through the motions and do the things that are seemingly pleasing to God and, and get none of the, 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 the accolades or the, the benefits of doing those things because our attitude is poor. I mean, Deuteronomy talks about that a lot, actually, that we're not here to do these things legalistically. Rather, our attitude is meant to be one that would desire to please the Lord, and our attitude is very important. So I want to talk to you about that, but specifically here, you're going to see something, and we've talked about anger a lot in the past. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture because that's, that's one of the prevailing challenges to our attitudes. I mean, all of our attitudes in the room are under constant threat of being affected by being put in situations or circumstances where anger enters in and corrupts the the love, the affection, the compassion, the patience, all the things that were meant to function in a godly attitude. So let me give you a few passages of scripture here specifically as our attitudes could be affected in a negative way by anger. So Proverbs 22, verses 24 through 25. It's this call for separation. Do not associate with those given to anger. Don't go with those who are hot-tempered. You will learn their ways and find a snare for yourself. That's a passage of scripture that we used when we talked about anger earlier in the year, but I think it applies here when we're talking about the attitudes that we surround ourselves with. I mean, this is really important, and the, the reality is no matter how strong or tough or how much you think you're an island, I got news for you, you are a sponge. I mean, when you're around that attitude, you will then absorb that attitude and then you will reflect that attitude. I I have gone to work and come home and, and my mood has changed. I have the same loving family at home when I get home as I did when I left. What's different? What I exposed myself to between those times the people I was around, the attitudes that I was around. And it's really important that we understand this and that we, we function maturely with it. Uh, I'll give you a couple more passages of scripture here. Uh, James 1.20 talks about anger and that it never is successful. And Remember, we're talking about advancement and success, sin prosperity now, that prayer that we mentioned earlier out of the Psalms. Uh, James 1.20 says that the anger of man will never achieve the righteousness of God. James also talks about everyone waging war against anger by doing these things, by being quick to hear and slow to speak. In James 1.19, the scripture reads, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, when we've talked about anger in the past, we've talked about that from this perspective, and I want to just offer it to you again in the context of this message, that You could either read that passage of Scripture and see three steps, right? Step one, quick to hear. Step two, slow to speak. And step three, slow to anger. But I actually see two steps and a result. I see, you know, step one, quick to hear. Step two, slow to speak. And then the result is slow to anger. Because the reality is, if I could just choose to be slow to anger, I wouldn't need step one or step two there. It's when I jump to anger that I'm quick to speak. It's when I jump to anger that I I deafen my ears. I'm ticked. I'm not hearing anything you're saying. And and you should stop talking now and listen to what I have to say. So I think what we have there is this this two-step process with this wonderful result that has a tremendous effect on our attitude. I mean, if I can purge anger out of my life, then the attitude that I'm left with is one, that is, is filled with the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I also then have the ability to, to respond instead of react. Now, this is all when I'm paying attention to my attitude. You know, I mean, science would tell you for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? Well, it, it, that applies with relationships, right? I mean, you hit me, I hit you back, right? But we have the mind of Christ, we have the Spirit of God, so that we are not forced to suffer reacting, rather we are equipped to respond, respond. I, I love that concept because there's a word that we use a lot, and I don't ever really think we, we, we I know I don't, pause to think about what that word is actually built on, and, and really and truly the difference between advancement and, and promotion, and prosperity and success remember that's that's the point we're looking for for 2021 generally speaking comes down to individual responsibility i mean if you were a boss in the workplace and you were looking to promote individuals and you had a number of individuals to choose from you would probably look for the one who was the most responsible and when you think about this word it's really just the ability to respond responsibility. My ability to respond instead of react. My ability to give a calculated response to a situation, to keep my head, to not lose my temper, to not lose my cool, to not be quick to speak and slow to listen, but to be quick to listen and slow to speak and therefore be slow to anger. I want to give you a definition of, of responsibility. Uh, responsibility, the opportunity or ability to act independently and make decisions without authorization. That's a really interesting definition to to contemplate. That the more I become responsible, the more I become equipped to independently act and make decisions. The more my children become responsible, the the more they don't have to ask, you know, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? But rather they understand, they have the judgment and the ability to make decisions good choices. Our attitude is really important. Our attitude's going to affect our ability to make good choices. I mean, I don't want to dwell on this too long, but I want you to just consider a time when you made really bad choices. Then ask yourself, what was my attitude during that time? I mean, most of the time I can equate a bad attitude with bad choices across the board. Whether the attitude was rebellious. Where the attitude was ungrateful, where the attitude was angry and frustrated, where the attitude was disappointing, it resulted in bad choices. Being able to guard our attitude will have an effect on our decisions, our choices, our actions, and therefore it'll have an effect on our lives. So number three here. First one was have desires. The second was surround yourself with good attitudes. Number three, have the right teachers have the right teachers. I mean, we all need teachers in our lives. I remember once watching a a man play guitar. He was playing here locally in Abilene, actually, at a restaurant. He was a a professor at a major university here in town uh, teaching guitar. And I, I was listening to this man play and thought, this man is a phenomenal guitarist. He's incredible. And as we were leaving the restaurant, there was a poster up that had the dates which he would be there. And I thought, I'd love to hear him again. I want to check the dates and see if we could come back and hear him a second time. And there was this large block there that was, was, was blocked off where he wasn't going to be there. And I, I asked, oh, he's not going to be here on this date, you know. And, and the, the individual that knew his schedule said, yeah, he'll be out of town. He's going to take lessons. And I just thought, you're kidding me, right? You mean he's going to give lessons, like like somebody's hired him to come and teach? No, 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 no. He's he's going to take lessons. But man, there's a lesson in that. This guy's at the height of his game. He's at the pinnacle. He's literally at the professor level teaching his trade here, his, his instrumental trade, and yet he still goes and takes lessons? How awesome is that? I mean, it should stir in us this, this, the importance of never stop learning. But keep in mind here, the tip wasn't just never stop learning. The tip here for, for 2021 was have the right teacher. And here's why. <clears throat> Luke 6, 40, Jesus is talking about the student-teacher relationship. And he says this, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained, did you hear fully trained? when he's become fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, I have a responsibility here pastoring Champions Church, and, and Pastor Jared alongside me has a responsibility in pastoring Champions Church. and it, that's, that's a responsibility that we take very seriously. And I can tell you there are choices and decisions that I make or don't make because I ask myself, will this decision have a negative impact on those whom I teach? Because literally, with this passage of Scripture, you're only ever going to be as strong as your teacher. And that teaching duty that, that, that comes with pastoring the church here, which it's not the sole duty, it's not the only one, but it's one of them, is one that I take very seriously. I have to ask myself that. If, if I participate in that, will it stunt those that, that are, are being taught at Champions? Or will it, would it cause them to prosper and to grow? And I think it's important to have teachers who think along those lines. I can tell you that guitarist probably goes to take lessons not for his own vanity, but so that he knows that he's always leading his students to advance, to prosper, to be successful. That he's never complacent, never plateaued, never kicked back celebrating the the ravages of tenure. But rather always staying fit always staying in position to be successful. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 talks about uh, being able to to have the right teachers. In fact, the right teachers, according to Hebrews, is going to be the difference between receiving the promises of God and missing the promises of God. Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 11, it's a call for us to to really pay attention. It says, don't be sluggish. Don't be sluggish, but rather be diligent until the very end be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. I mean, in other words, basically what it's saying is let everyone that's recorded in the scripture, let Abraham teach you. Let Sarah teach you. Let Noah teach you. Let Joseph teach you. Let those who inherited the promises of God be teachers in your life so that you can imitate they're faith-filled actions and therefore get God's faithful results. Pretty awesome. So in these tips to this stronger new year, one, have desires. Two, surround yourself with the right attitudes. Uh, next, the third one was have the right teachers. Now, number four. This one's going to sound a bit familiar because we've talked about friendship before, and we'll talk about it again. Number four, filter your friends. Filter your friends. I'm, I am I am a relational guy. Now, some of you may chuckle and think, no, you're not. But I, I think I am. I mean, I'm good for a conversation or two, you know. Uh, so here we go. Filter your friends. I want to give you a couple passages of Scripture here. Remember before when I told you we're going to find somewhere in the Scripture that, that could... Give a little bit of, of uh, credibility to the saying, you know, less is more. We're gonna find that here from the Proverbs 1824. Proverbs 1824. Proverbs 18, verse 24. It says, a man of many friends comes to ruin. I mean, that one kind of can come as a shocker. You're like, wait a second, that must be a misprint in my Bible, right? I mean, we live in a culture that wants you to have as many friends as you can possibly have. I mean, people will, will, will set someone's influence or, or their, their credibility based on how many friends they have on Facebook. Well, i got news for you, those aren't friends. I mean, at least Twitter calls them followers, right? That's probably a better term for it. That's, it really is. It's probably more accurate. But, but here's something that the Scripture tells us, and I think we ought to pay attention. I mean, friendship is a powerful of fellowship in the scripture. In fact, I, I think it is, is, well, let me just let the word speak for itself. Friendship is the catalyst for the greatest manifestation of love in all the scripture. Let me give you a passage of scripture here because it's easy to argue with me, right? Easy to argue with Pastor Preston. It's hard to argue with Jesus. So here we go. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. The greatest manifestation of love that he lay down his life for his friends. Friends. I mean, why didn't he say "family? You know And if he would have said "family," we'd all embrace that, and it would make perfect sense, and we'd, we'd run with it. But he who is always intentional, never speaks casually or accidental, chose the word "friend." In fact, in John 15, 15, when when he's talking about the freedom that comes from this relationship, he's speaking to those around him, and he says, No longer are you slaves, but now you are friends. I mean, when I look at that passage of Scripture, my brain has to stop for a second, and I think we could really spend all morning talking about that, that Jesus is setting up these, these two opposites. One is a slave, and the other is a friend. The opposite of slavery, according to this passage of scripture, is friendship. That, there's some power there if you just want to think on that and ask God, God, show me what that means. I want to uh, give you a couple of passages of Scripture here that are important to make a note of as we filter our friends, knowing that a man of many friends comes to ruin. Which, by the way, before we move any further forward, I I want to emphasize something on that. When it comes to friendship, from a biblical perspective, the emphasis, the priority, the power is in the quality, not the quantity. I mean, I had a number of acquaintances in my life that that I I have thought would would be there when I needed them to be there, and and it turns out there are very few who were there when I needed them. What I realized was I had very few friends. I had a lot of acquaintances, but very few friends. And if we come to a place where we have many, many friends, we understand that a friendship requires uh, input. It requires... Uh, energy, it requires resources, it requires your, your time. You can only spread yourself so thin in a relationship before those relationships become so thin and of themselves that they become pointless. I mean, friendship requires time, it requires fellowship, it requires connection. And if we become those men or women of many friends, we will come to ruin according to the scripture. Because we won't be able to invest the proper amount of time, energy, or resources into the relationship for it to have any merit or worth. It's okay to have a large number of acquaintances and a large circle of influence. Some, some of us have that, some of it can't be denied or, or it can't be separated from. But when it comes to friends and friendship, those relationships are meant to require your time your connection, your fellowship, and you only have so much of that to give. Therefore, only a handful can receive an appropriate amount to sustain a friendship. I want to give you a, a, a couple of passages of Scripture here. One, to emphasize how God views friendship, the importance of that relationship, why we need to filter our friends, why it's, it's very imprudent for Pastor Preston to have friends that do things regularly that Pastor Preston doesn't or shouldn't do. I don't have friends that live a lifestyle outside of the lifestyle that I live as a believer. Listen to this passage in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6. So I'm kind of coming in halfway through the verse here, but I'm getting to the relationships part, and that's really the point. I want you to hear how these relationships are defined, okay? Your brother, comma, your mother's son... Your son or daughter, comma, or the wife you cherish, comma, or your friend who is as your own soul. When my wife is being identified in the scripture here, she's the one I cherish. My sons and daughters are my sons and daughters. My brother is the son of my mother. But then when my friends are being defined here in the scripture, they're being defined as as- my own soul. Now there's a reason for this, and it's kind of an opinion. You're never going to find like, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 2 that says this. I'm giving this to you as a thought or an opinion, and I think it's well thought out and intentional. It's not just a comment made shooting from the hip. I didn't choose the other relationships that are in my life. I didn't choose my family. You know, you you don't choose your parents. Uh, I I didn't even get to choose my sons. That's 100% up to God. And the reality is, though we think that we choose our spouse, God designed Ashley for me and me for Ashley, right? He designed me. I'm perfect for you, right? Amen? Absolute perfection for you, right? Yeah. You know what's funny? When I proposed to Ashley, she did say yes, and when she was praying and and rejoicing and giving thanks, she did say, God, he's not who I would choose. You know you said that. But then God told her, but I chose him for you, which I remind her that a lot. Like, hey, don't, don't forget, you know, though there is a small fire in the kitchen, God chose me for you. Yeah. So take it up with him, right? Okay, here we go. Back to the point. Friendship. That relationship, those are the relationships that we do have a say in. I mean, I, I can decide who I give my time to in, in friendship, who I give my, my resources to in friendship, who I give my fellowship to in friendship. That, that person then, I, 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 there's a, a condoning of, of relationship and fellowship there that happens through that choosing. And, and based on that, that friend is as my own soul. I think it's very important who we yoke ourselves to in friendship. It will have an effect on who we are and how we function. It will have the ability to to open up doors for prosperity and success. It will also have the ability to be a boat anchor on our ability to advance and move forward and prosper in the things of the kingdom of God. I'm offering that to you as a thought. If you have a debate uh, as it concerns that, you're welcome to call me up, and we will discuss it very civilly. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it and, and continue to share my own with you. Uh, but I think it's important for us to consider who our friends are, to see how God views friendship, and, and to, to uh, adopt a biblical understanding of how powerful friendship is. Uh, I want to give you a a, a a final one here. We had the first one was to have desires. The second one was to surround yourself with good attitudes. The third one was have the right teachers. Then we got to four, which was filter your friends. And now then here we are at this this final tip for the stronger. Uh, new year, this, this uh, positioning for prosperity, advancement, or success, and it's simply this, think of others first. Think of others first. Now, remember, the, the pursuit here is, is to position ourselves to offer up this prayer, you know, Father, send prosperity now, or send advancement, or send success. I, I want you to see something in the scripture that God promises to exalt or promote. Remember we interchanged those words earlier? That God promises to promote. Uh, The scripture is basically the attitude of of Jesus Christ. I want to give it to you here out of the scripture. I told you we're going to find what God exalts. Here it is, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. As you continue to read there, you're going to get down to an area around verse 9, and you'll find these words, For this reason God highly exalts. Specific to Jesus, that for this reason God highly exalted him. But yet that entire passage of Scripture is a call for us to have the same attitude as Jesus, the same attitude that God exalts. And when I read through this passage, I mean, it's it's rich with, with this direction and this counsel, this information that leads to promotion and exaltation. I think it's important to make a couple of notes here. When you have this call to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves, you get to verse 4 and you see something that's very important. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. I mean, take care of yourself. There's no doubt about that. But, but equally as important as caring for yourself is looking out for others. When we can think of others and their needs, when we can put those people before ourselves, we'll position ourselves to function and operate like Jesus. And when we position ourselves to function and operate like Jesus, we ought to expect some very Christ-like results in our life, through our life. And that which God guarantees to exalt, he will continue to exalt when it's lived out in our living when our thoughts become selfless, when our actions become selfless, when our attitudes become empty of conceit, when our hearts are filled with humility and our minds are given to think humble thoughts, when we really can regard one another as more important than ourselves. What an interesting way to word that, importance. I mean, we use the word, I think it's a word that we're familiar with, But I do think it would be an important word to sit here and ask God, Father, will you show me what it means to see others as more important? I want to tell you something quickly as we close here. I remember having a wonderful opportunity uh, with uh, uh, Nigel McNeil. Now, some of you all know Nigel. He functions as an evangelist. He he does visit champions, and and he did contact me uh, to schedule for his next visit. It should be in September if I remember right, uh, of this uh, coming year. I'm looking forward to having Nigel back in. Uh, Nigel has been a big part of my life in wonderful ways, and God affirmed that relationship through some really miraculous confirmation. is really incredible. And, and I had the opportunity to, to, do, uh, to travel to go be a part of some meetings that he was leading. I had no part in the meetings other than to attend. And so I uh, loaded up uh, the family and traveled to... Uh, uh, to, to see him. There was one time that I traveled by myself, and it was in Indiana, and, uh, but traveled to go see uh, uh, Nigel and participate in these meetings. Uh, one of the nights there, he said, hey, I want to I ask you to do something with me. Now, this was a real privilege in my life because I'd watch Nigel minister, and I would think, this is really interesting. I've done the same thing you're doing, but I don't get the same result. Anyone who's ever been in any of those meetings or, or had, you know, Nigel minister to them, there are a, a large number of people who have a similar experience of having a, a real powerful sensation of, of the Spirit of God moving on them. And it's really, it's hard to describe without sounding a little nutty, you know. But it's really tangible and it's, it's incredible. And I, I, I was there talking with Nigel, you know, and I, I asked him, hey, how does that work? You know, I mean, I, it wasn't as, as vain or carnal as like, hey, I want to do that too. That looks cool. Even though in the back of my mind, that probably was a thought. At the forefront, it was, how does that work? I watch you minister. I see the effect, but I don't understand how. I know God's, I've, I've felt the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. I've felt the power of God moving my life. I'm a, a living miracle of deliverance and freedom. But when I watch you do this, how does that work? And his answer was, hey, why don't you, Uh, after the service just come walk the altar with me while I'm ministering you just stand by me and if I move just move with me and then if I move this way just move but just just watch and I said man that would be a real honor thank you you know and and so the service is happening and and you know I'm kind of tapping my foot because I'm thinking get to the ministry part I want to I want to be up there with you I want to I want to see I want to (coughs) learn I want to be a part of this and And the the, the service had concluded and he called for people to come forward and it was a a larger congregation. So uh, this mass of people were were along the front and they were lined up from from end to end around the platform about four rows deep because they, they just all couldn't make one line. And he began to minister and I just walked with him. And, and most of the time, he wouldn't even touch the person. But he'd walk up to him and begin to pray, and they, they would just fall out in the Holy Spirit. It was really an amazing thing to witness. And I can tell you, I stood there and wept. I'd never felt such peace, and, and it was just this really incredible thing to witness. And what I thought was going to answer my questions just led to more questions, you know? Because I got to witness that and I thought, wow, what a wonderful, by the time the night was over, I was even so tired from, I mean, it took a long time to minister to all of those people. And he stood there and ministered to every single one of them. There's some really funny stories in, in some of those moments, you know, like really powerful and exciting and, and good stories. Uh, but at the end, I, I, you know, Nigel was, was tired. We were back in his room. He just said, what'd you think? And I said, wow, that was the most incredible experience I've ever had ministering at the altar in my life, just watching and witnessing this take place. I said, but I, I still, I, I, I'm still excited and inspired, but I still just don't understand what, what is it? Now, he's Australian, you know, so he just said, now, now listen, mate, I want to tell you something. And I kind of leaned in. Then he said this, he said, when I'm praying for someone, in that moment, Even if it's just 10 seconds, that person becomes the most important person in my life. They become the most important person on earth. That was his response. That was it. And I just thought, that's really interesting. And at the time, that was a classy way to say not helpful, you know. But then when I began to see in the scripture what a Christ-like attitude is. A Christ-like attitude is seeing someone else as more important than yourself. I realize that in those ten seconds, you position your heart and your mind by pushing out all of the distractions and all of the other crud and junk that gets in the way. You position yourself to be a catalyst for the ministry of Jesus Christ. No wonder there's such a profound and powerful effect. Now, for all of us as believers, we have this call, to have this as an attitude. And I think if we can ask God to lead us, to guide us, to show us, Father, what does it mean? How can we embody this? How can, when we are described, be described as those who consider others as more important than ourselves, we will have achieved a tremendous success that I think would be fulfilling the call to function and operate as believers. And I think that will make for one incredible 2021. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to offer a prayer, trust and believe God to do something great in our lives. That we go into a new year with with godly desires. That God position us to surround ourselves with people with, with, with the right attitudes. That we have the right teachers that we have the, the appropriate friends and, and that we can have the, the right attitude, the, that mindset of Jesus to consider others as more important than ourselves. I want to offer this as a prayer, and I want to trust and believe God to lead us into a new year equipped to, to receive and achieve that success and that promotion that he's called us to there where you stand, you can simply be in an attitude of receiving. You're welcome to, to join an agreement. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have plans and a call for our lives, but plans and, and thoughts to prosper us, to lead us into success and advancement in every aspect of our living. Make us to be a visionary people. Stir in our hearts desires. And let them be established. And let them be achieved. Let them line up with, with your will, the things that are pleasing to you. And let us give uh, our, ourselves to seeing them come to pass and fulfill. And let that tree of life that is promised in the scripture uh, be enjoyed and celebrated by each of us here as we see those godly desires fulfilled. Will you surround us uh, with, with the right attitudes Let us be led and guided in those right ways. Let us be surrounded by encouragement, edification, that if we veer off the path, that those that we surround ourselves with would help us to correct our direction and not to simply stand by as we lose our way. And give us good teachers that we may have the highest of standards set in our lives. And we ask, Father, in Jesus' name for discernment on these matters. That we would understand and know the examples that you've set before us for victory and breakthrough and success. Let us turn our eyes to your word and receive those things that have been filed away as old Bible stories. Let them come to life as the examples of faith that you have given us to follow in the footsteps of those who received your promises. And let us ourselves receive those promises. And will you help us to filter our friendships that we would enter into the powerful relationship that is friendship only with those that would uh, help us to elevate our lives and let it be in such a way that we might bring elevation to them as well. Let those relationships be divinely appointed and those friends who are as our own soul. Let us have a, a like agreement in the things of your word and your counsel and your ways that we might sharpen one another, that we might be there to support one another in making the choices and decisions that are in agreement and in alignment with your will. And will you help us to think of others first? Let the mind of Christ prevail in each of our hearts and our minds as we would think and as we would act. Let us be just like Jesus. Let us be able to perceive and understand the things that those around us are going through, and let us see them as important. We ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, for this mind of Christ to prevail in us and to be a, a, a powerful effect on how we function and how we operate. And let the results be ministry. Ministry that would bring you honor and glory. Ministry that would destroy the works of the devil. Ministry that would expand your kingdom. Ministry, Father that would bless those around us. We give you thanks and we rejoice in the year that you have carried us through. And we anticipate with with excited and joyful hearts this coming year that you are equipping us and empowering us, positioning us for advancement, success, and prosperity in every aspect of our living. We give you thanks and we ask that as we continue to advance and prosper, that you continue to be glorified. We bless your name. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.